Hey, everyone, and welcome to We Gotta Talk. If you're new to the show, this is an issues-based podcast for curious people who want to see both sides of the story. I'm Sunny, an Emmy-nominated and AP award-winning TV journalist whose true passion in life is asking questions, talking to literally anyone about really anything. Join me each week as we dig in on one topic from every angle and walk away with a new perspective that just might change your life. Now... Let's talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to We Gotta Talk. If you're new, thanks for joining us. If you've been here for a while, hey, thanks for coming back. I love this episode. We dug this one up from the archives because we are on a temporary break for new content with We Gotta Talk. Our new season is launching September 1st. Yay! And we have some amazing guests. But here's the thing. We've had amazing guests on the show all the time. And I get kind of like twitchy when these awesome people that we have just slowly, slowly get buried in the feed. So over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be digging up some of our best performing episodes from We Gotta Talk. And I know you're going to love it. This week, we're talking cheating, infidelity, the worst Most uncomfortable thing to think about if you're partnered up, but a really necessary topic to really dig into. The guest is Sandy Weiner of Last First Date. She is an internationally known TEDx speaker, a woman's love and empowerment coach, and she has spent years helping people make themselves and their relationships better. So we decided to dig into infidelity, and this isn't the first time we talked about this on this show because uh, this is something people like to pretend doesn't exist. Um, if it's happened to you, you don't like to talk about it. If it's happened to a friend, they probably don't want to admit it. And if you've done it before, surely you are not walking down the street piping up about what you did. Um, but I really wanted to dig into this because it turns out that this can look really different for every couple who experiences it. People stay together. People break up. But how do you decide what to do if this happens to you? This is why I brought in Sandy, and this is why she's such a unique guest on this topic. So Sandy works directly with people who have made the decision to both stay and go, and she really helps all of her clients focus on their own issues first to get into a great space to decide if they want to continue with their partner after the episode of infidelity. So in this episode, we talk, is it possible to stay with a cheater? How do you do it if you want to move past it? What are the signs of an affair? Why do people cheat in the first place? And the steps she recommends for healing. Like I said, Sandy's been doing this for a while and has talked to a multitude of people who've experienced this. So this is a really safe space for this conversation. We also dig into questions that were submitted by you amazing uh, listeners and viewers. So you'll hear those at the end of the episode. As always, this will be updated in show notes with anything we mentioned in the episode. So please do check that out. In the meantime, enjoy this conversation on infidelity with Sandy Weiner. And Sandy, I am so glad you're here because this is a topic that people whisper about. And I think we need to start not maybe not screaming, but at least openly talking. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to be here. It is a topic that people have a lot of shame around, a lot of black and white thinking around. And hopefully today we're going to open up some perspectives and get some other points of view. Yeah, I, I have heard so many women say... I know exactly what I do if my husband or my boyfriend or my wife or my partner cheated. I would leave his, you know, and I'm like, but would you, do we really know? I put that question in my Instagram stories when I was promoting this podcast because I don't think anyone knows until they've been in that spot. If you were to go back and look at all of your work as you've dealt with, do you deal mainly with women as clients or is it a pretty much, you do women? Okay. Yeah. 
let me ask you off the top. Are women more often the victims of infidelity based on your experience alone? Uh, probably, but I know many women who were the cheaters. So I think we have both. A lot of times, you know, it, people in long-term relationships end up being uh, really unhappy. And so both, both sides can be miserable. I've seen it for, from so many perspectives. And there's this sort of badge of courage that a lot of people hold, which is, I would never leave my spouse, but it's okay to cheat. Mm-hmm. That's that, an that kind of understanding. Yeah. I mean, as if you're getting some award for enduring the tough times. Now, let me say this. We we are in an era now where I think generations past have not been. We're in communication with each other in ways that never even existed until 10 years ago. So the opportunity for infidelity is, is higher than ever. Texting, messaging, social media. Um, do you think that that alone is an indi- not an indication, but um, causes more cheating or have people due to human nature alone always going to find, are they always going to find a way? Yeah, I think it's been through the ages. You know, we have, we have social media now, which opens up other doors, but yes, I think people have always found a way. In fact, I was, because of this topic, I I remembered a case for myself when I was probably 19 and I had a married neighbor who lived down the block and his wife was about nine months pregnant. And I was coming over to bring them some food because she was unable to cook or something. And so I show up with the lasagna and he says, I want to have an affair with you. And I was like, it was the first time it ever happened to me. I was shocked. I mean, here's his wife, nine months pregnant. And I am like, completely... throw the castle in your face. Like what? <laughs> I actually burst out laughing. I, I thought he was kidding. I, I really thought he was kidding. And he said, well, I said, you don't you love your wife? And he goes, well, I love her and I love you. Can't you, you know, haven't you ever loved two people at once? And I said, yeah, my parents. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, I, I, I really couldn't even wrap my head around it. Yeah. But this is a guy who I know remained married probably 40 years now. I can't even imagine how many other women he did this to. And I've met many people like this who just, you know, he was extremely religious. And the, and this brings up a whole other, other part of why people cheat. Sometimes when you, you know, brought up with a lot of restriction and there's shame around talking about sex and having sex and you can't have it unless you're married and you can only have it on Saturdays. I mean, it's there's a lot of crazy stuff out there about you know how we express ourselves sexually in the end not just sexually but in all ways and I think a lot of infidelity comes from the inability to express how we feel to the most important person in our life you know it's I think so much could be resolved if we just talked which is the name of your podcast. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I have found that the most uncomfortable of conversations have been the most fruitful in my life. It has always been who who I am. Um, but it's interesting when you partner with somebody, um, my husband comes from a family that they probably weren't as like, we, we cry about things. We scream, we we're like, um, we're the other end of the spectrum. So it's interesting when you get a pairing of people together who've lived their life a certain way and he's very reserved and, um, just, he's very graceful in conversation. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm kind of crazy compared to how he communicates, but, 
um, we really did, and we're 10 years in now, have to learn how to speak to each other and understand that uh, there is a happy medium. And if I don't move this way a little bit more and he doesn't move that way, then so much ends ends up going unsaid, which is, is yeah. disastrous. And you don't even know how far away you've gotten from your point of peace and happiness in a relationship until the car hits you, sort of, you know, figuratively speaking. You're like, where did that come from? Um, first of all, I want to shout out Bree and Jody. We have some guests here who are watching live. Jody Utter, who's one of the uh, women here watching, has dedicated her um, sort of writing repertoire online to her experience with infidelity. I interviewed Jody on my episode of 30 something a while back. It was a smash hit because people love hearing about this. Let me say this off the top. If you guys are one of the people out there who's experienced infidelity, you are not alone. You're in great company. Uh, the company of of probably some of the most incredible people in the world, because I feel like um, there are people who grow really well from this experience. Let me start off by asking you, Sandy, what is your definition? Taking into account all you've seen with the ups and downs of your clients' relationships and even your own, what defines a successful relationship? And if infidelity is present, does it necessarily mean the relationship is a failure? Okay, two very different questions. Let's start with what's successful in my eyes, what is successful is that that happy medium between chemistry and compatibility. Most of us have no idea what makes us compatible. We do know when chemistry is present and chemistry can often be lust and not really love. And so we're drawn in by this, you know, butterflies and all these chemical responses that often mean that person is toxic for us. And so we get into relationships that aren't good, you know, because attraction is based on so much stuff. And you have a question. Yes. Oh my gosh. So when we have the butterfly, we should distrust that feeling. Like, is it, it, it's almost like, okay, this is like too good to be true. So yes, a little bit too good to be true, but it's more like we lose ourselves. And so we ignore red flags. The butterflies could continue and could mean that this relationship is amazing, but it has to have other components. And often when we just lead with the chemistry, we we get overwhelmed with the feelings we have and we, we get blinded to the, the really important red flags that are waving in our face really hard and hitting us in the face and we're just like i don't know you know he's so hot but yeah he's he's yelling at me but he's so hot so we can easily get into relationships that are bad for us so the the bones of a relationship the foundation has to be there for it to continue to grow so if it's based solely on hotness that that burns out i mean you have three kids they're young it's those are the hardest years, in my opinion, of, you know, in a relationship. And we have to be able to take care of ourselves, take care of our spouse, take care of our children. Um, but anyway, back to what are some of the components? So healthy communication, respect for each other's values, knowing who you are, not relying on the other person to complete you, but to really be happy with your own life as well as grow together. Somebody who knows how to put the relationship as one as the most important thing you know and if you are prioritizing the relationship over your ego over you know the things that are less important you're going to always be attending to the relationship instead of neglecting which is often what leads to infidelity it's i'm not happy but i don't speak up because i expect him to somehow read my mind so he's not getting it so i'm going to 
start looking outside the relationship for my joy, my happiness, my fulfillment. And again, it could be just that hit of dopamine that comes from having sex with somebody else because you're unhappy. So what constitutes infidelity? So did I answer that question? Yeah, no, totally. And, okay. and the follow-up question there was, for someone who's experienced that, does it automatically disqualify it as having been or have the potential to be a successful relationship? Experienced infidelity or experienced? Experienced infidelity. Okay. Someone has gone through that. Is there, I guess what I'm basically saying is, is there a way to come back and, and have a meaningful relationship again? Absolutely. So it takes two. And it depends on if there were bones there to begin with, you know, so that's why that foundation of the healthy relationship has to be there and it has to continue to grow. And if both of you get together and go to therapy, go to coaching, go to another person who's going to help you glue that relationship back together, if both of you can work on it and really want the relationship to succeed, you have to really figure out where did it fall apart? You know, if it fell apart because it was never there, then it's pretty hard to come back. Mm -hmm. But if it fell apart because one person was nagging the hell out of the other person and they couldn't take it anymore, but they had no idea how to speak about it in a way that was connecting and warm and, and loving, then learning communication skills, learning some of the skills that are missing from that relationship can really heal. Trust is hard to to heal. I mean, it is not something that just comes back automatically, but many, many couples do come back with new agreements and new ways of being to rebuild the relationship. And often it will come back stronger because those holes that were never addressed now get addressed and now get filled up. I want you to give us some good sort of um, quick lines or conversation starters that people can use. Like I said before, I think problems arise um, long after the sort of seed has been planted. We only see the symptoms, I guess is what I'm trying to say, long after the initial problem has started. So if someone is concerned that the lack of communication in their relationship is potentially leading down this road, they see their partner changing, drifting away, there's a change in their in their physical appearance, which I'm going to get to all the sort of classic signs of an affair later. But what is one thing that, or several lines that a partner could say to someone to sort of snap them out of it, let them know, I see what's happening, but also sort of create a safe landing space for them to open up a conversation because it's almost like they want to catch it the boulder before it rolls off the cliff. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I recommend that people start with their intention. So, so that when you're having a difficult conversation, the first most important thing is to work on yourself first. Get clear about what the issues are, pick one issue, get centered so you're not reactive and what is the end goal so if the end goal is i want to heal our relationship i want to get closer to you i want to connect to you that is a safe place to start and it's a it's a way to connect instead of let me just tell you what's on my mind and tell you how to heal yourself because you're the problem you know, I, I spoke to a client the other day and she's having issues with her fiance and he said, well, I don't have a problem with that. So obviously it's your problem, not mine. That's that is awful, not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> that's awful. That is not, that is not going to heal that relationship. And so that's what a lot of people do. They can't take it in. Their ego gets in the way. And so when you start with the intention is to connect, the intention is to heal. 
I care so much about you and I noticed we're drifting apart and I want to heal this relationship because I love you very much. Are you open to having this conversation with me? Mm-hmm. And now you've created a safe space. If that person isn't willing to talk at this time, it's a bad time. When is a good time? Don't just leave it on the table. And then come back and say, here's what I'm noticing. And don't accuse, you know, here's what I'm noticing. I, I'm going to take responsibility for my share. You know, maybe I had kept quiet about this for a long time because I was afraid to address it. But it's really important to me and I can see us drifting apart, you know. Here's, you know, what's your side and how how can we problem solve to make this work? That's yeah, basically that's, the gist of that conversation. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say, which which is making sense, which I know is hard for me to do with difficult conversation, is, is not to lead with her. Sometimes I know I say, you're being so XYZ right now, upset, and distant, whatever. Um, but I love the way you phrased it because it neutralizes the emotion and it doesn't make them feel like they need to go on the defense because in a in a situation where someone feels like they can't be themselves to begin with, I guess the last thing you want to do is push that. I want to say, um, my good, like I said, my good friend Jody is on the uh, chat box here, and Jody, I'd love you to pop in with your experience too. Um, Jody has gone through, like I said, um, this entire sort of metamorphosis in her relationship and her marriage, and I, I love the openness about it. Why are are we as women so embarrassed, Sandy, to, this is why I admire Jody's writing so much, to say, you know what? Me too. I was cheated on by a boyfriend probably <laughs> like, a, I don't know, maybe 35 times. I don't know. I felt stupid, but I went back. But I'm no longer embarrassed to say I, I've been there too. Why as women is it hard for us to say that we have been a victim of infidelity? Well, there's tremendous stigma around infidelity, even though so many people are doing it, very few people are talking about it. And so I know for myself, when my marriage was ending, I started asking people about whether they were happy, whether they were having sex, whether they were cheating on each other. I wanted to know because nobody was talking about this. And I remember sitting around when I first got married and I saw all these really unhappy, I mean, we were maybe two years into our marriage and I'm sitting around the table And all these women are going, I withhold sex from my husband when I'm upset with him. And I'm going, oh my God, what is wrong with people, (laughs) right? But it it was like, we, nobody teaches us these things. And so there's, there's this stigma, you're a bad person. I mean, in the Bible, people used to get killed for infidelity. They still are in some countries. I mean, and the woman in particular gets targeted. So there's so much, patriarchy and history and you know shame and around it that i think we just think we are the only one we're bad people for feeling this way and we don't realize that it's not it's not a sign that we're a horrible person it's 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 a sign that you know some there was a tear in the fabric of this relationship and we didn't know how to heal it so we tried something that was outside the relationship you know, if a person is a serial cheater and, you know, we like you, the person you were in a relationship with, then, you know, we forgive and forgive and forgive because that's our nature. You know, so there's that whole side of we don't realize that we can set boundaries with people. Nobody teaches us that either. So there's yes. just a lot of that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know why the conversations um, don't center more around as our girls are growing up. Um 
ways to sort of take back your strength and to assert yourself. You don't realize how ingrained the whole, um, you know, be a good girl or make it easy on everyone or just make the situation. I'm always acting in some way to make other people more comfortable. What ended up being dangerous for me in that relationship in particular, and I'm sure for many women, was that that subconscious desire I had to just smooth it over and just like find, I'm always looking for common ground and I'm always looking, it it became destructive. When you're dealing with clients that find themselves in a repeat pattern that might be similar to that, what do you, what's the first step in strengthening yourself to really understand if you're trying to stay because you love them or if you're trying to stay because you're just used to making things right? Mm. Wow. So I'm work with many couples. Uh, women, I work with the woman of the couple who is not sure if she should stay or go. And, you know, a lot of the women who come to me, most I would say are somehow codependent in some way. They're people pleasers. They were brought up to believe that they should always make peace. And so they tolerate and tolerate and tolerate and don't know how to speak up. And then they implode, you know, it's like, and then you never do these things. Right. So this is how relationships break. And so if, if a woman is looking at the relationship, what I would do is first of all, really look at what's fact and what's, what's something she's creating and what's something the relationship is creating. Mm -hmm. So in every relationship, there's yours, mine, and ours. There's your stuff, there's my stuff, and there's the stuff that gets created in the relationship. And when you can parse it out and say, okay, I see here, I should have spoken up. I just assumed that he would know what love looks like to me, for example. This happens all the time. Love to one person looks like I buy you flowers once a week. I tell you I love you. To somebody else, it looks like every morning I need to be cuddled for, you know, when we first wake up. I need to be held in the night. You have to be that clear. Right. If you're not getting what you want. And so often it's just starting there. Like what part are you responsible for? And, you know, and starting to have these difficult conversations, like when this happened, I felt, and I do want to get closer to you. So if that happens and you start bringing up these difficult things and the person is responsive, the relationship can grow. And if you bring them up and he's super defensive, and then the relationship starts to fall apart, but at least you know, because now you're having honest conversation. And before, most people don't. You know, I had a client who, she was hungry and she had like hypoglycemia and, and she kept saying, they were at like some horse race or something and they were there for hours. And she kept saying to the guy, I need to get something to eat. And he kept going, no, 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 <laughs> you know? And she didn't pick herself up and go and get something to eat, but she was ready to pass out. and she had a hard time really advocating for her needs. So that was something we had to work on with her. So that's, it's a common theme, I think. It sounds too, um, you know, based on what I'm hearing you say that a successful, I guess we'll kind of use air quotes, long lasting relationships where people have found a way to continue to connect, I'll say, um, th there's like repeated check-in periods or um, not only do you learn how to communicate, but do you also tell people who are aiming to have these longer term relationships like, you know, you need to check in every X number of months or years or take a trip away or be alone. Is there a sort of formula or something that people can fall back? 
back on because it does sound like, like you said, if you don't take the time to be deliberate about explaining your love languages or things that matter to you, then those things can just sort of fade. So what do you tell clients who are in relationships that are working, but really want to make sure that that glue sticks? I think that, you know, I wouldn't do like a yearly check-in. I would do like a daily check-in. You know, there are couples who have rituals that they, at the end of the day, they tell each other what they're grateful for, you know, really building in rituals that keep the relationship glued together. Mm-hmm. I think if an issue comes up, do not do not wait to address it. If you're too triggered, say that. You know, I I have said things like right now I'm really upset and I don't trust myself to say anything because I might say something I would regret. You mm-hmm. know, so being emotionally responsible enough to say I need to cool off and I'm going to come back in about 20 minutes to talk about this. Will that work for you? So really not holding things in, not waiting, but also nurturing, you know, like taking that time together, having those date nights, not just talking about the same old, same old, but like, you know, mixing it up and making life interesting, making sex interesting. It's very easy to fall into a rut in a long-term relationship. Is there any list of classic signs you tell people to look, not particularly look out for, but they might notice if their partner is having an affair or on the verge of having an affair? I think anytime you see secrecy, um, someone called me where her boyfriend was hiding his messages and hiding his phone. And she'd say, what are you hiding? And he'd say, nothing, it's nothing. That's a that's something to be very, very concerned about. Uh, people who, you know, you're, you're gone a lot and there's unexplained, you know, distance. If you see any real big changes in behavior, you know, even somebody who becomes overly loving, you know, that can be like, what the hell just happened? I don't really get it. Um. It's pretty hard not to. I've heard like lots of men in particular, like stories about husbands all of a sudden working out more or paying more attention to how they look. Is that another Mm -hmm. potential classic sign? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, if you see any big change in somebody's personality, just pay attention. You know, Um, the, the problem is that if sometimes people just get suspicious. So, you know, in, in, in my marriage, and I'll just disclose this, this briefly, um, I was really unhappy for a long time and I would go away for the summers to a sleepaway camp. And I met somebody in the last summer I was working at this one particular camp and I became close to him. And my husband at the time started to see a difference in my behavior. So I became happier and I felt like I was heard and paid attention to. So what I was craving was somebody who saw me, didn't criticize me and cared about me. Mm -hmm. And it was intoxicating. And so um, it gave me the, it was a catalyst for me to leave my marriage actually, because I realized that I was so unhappy that it woke me up to what was possible that not with that person, but what was possible for my future. But he became so suspicious that he started looking through my emails, um, like really, you know, looking through my stuff. I had a, I had a lock a journal into a lockbox. You know, I just really became 
so scared that he was just probing, 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 and it felt horrible. So, you know, that kind of behavior, when you get really nervous, paranoid, um, you can really push your partner away. I mean, I was already out of the relationship saying I'm leaving, but I think that happens a lot of times when people get super suspicious and, you know, just start checking your phone. Like the woman who I was talking about before, she, she started checking this guy's phone because she saw him hiding it. So when you're at that point, trust is like completely shattered. How do you build back if you really want to help the relationship heal? But I, I yeah, that that really freaked me out, that behavior of like checking emails and, and being so suspicious of everything. I felt like I was under a microscope. And that could have been a good feeling for you too, because it's inter interesting to hear from your perspective, having been the one who was essentially hiding something um did you too feel just like completely depleted because I, I can imagine that was a difficult thing to carry yeah i mean i did a lot of other things to fill my void you know before meeting this person i was i was you know busying myself with things i'd be out of the house a lot like there were so many signs that i should have just gotten out but i didn't know how and so they were all leading up to that but i just felt like I was so unhappy and, and I really can relate to people who don't know what their options are, you know, who feel just this emptiness inside and don't see any other possibility. Like I would look around me and see unhappy couples and say, well, they're not happy. You know, why would I want to leave? I have some sense of security. So I can understand people staying and staying and staying when they're really miserable. Um, you know, they're not getting abused and there's just, it's just not fulfilling. And they don't realize that, that there's something better for you. Even, even being alone can be better than being unhappy. Let me ask you this. How did you know it was time? You said you were seeing signs over the course of the last sort of phase of your relationship, um, that it was time to leave, but what was the sort of nail in the coffin moment? Well, it was really the realization that I had put so much of my emotional well well-being and health on hold. Like I suppressed who I was and I had lost who I was. I lost my spark. I lost, you know, the belief in myself and just being in an environment where people believed in me, where I felt happy and supported was enough to say, okay, I, I need to go back and leave so that I can reclaim who I am. Yeah, I think we just want to say one thing. I mean, you know, he's, he's a lovely person. We have a great relationship now. We were just a bad match. And often we try to make bad relationship, bad relationship matches work. And it's just there's nothing to glue it together. Mm -hmm. And um, I, so a lot of what didn't work, and this is what really pulls people apart is how we argue. This was something that was so eye-opening for me when I was doing the studying to become a, a dating coach was I studied the work of John Gottman um, of the Gottman Institute. And one of the things he identified was by studying couples for 20 years, he would see that the way they argued would be a defining um, feature of whether they could work through issues or leave. And there were four ways that we argue, which he calls the four horsemen. Um, and they are defensiveness, contempt, stonewalling, and criticism. And so before, when we were talking about how to have a healing 
conversation and you talked about starting something that leads to defensiveness we need to realize that if we if we start a conversation with you're this you're that we're closing the door on the other person and we're just making our needs the most important thing and so to heal a relationship again we have to make the relationship important we have to work on our own defensiveness our criticism of the other person and just see like what's our part in this relationship i mean i look at people who have who are who are divorced who are saying you know she was the cause of my distress what i learned from this relationship is i will never trust women again um women communicate terribly and it's like all this stuff about what's wrong with them and not what did i learn about myself right so no matter how bad your relationship was there's a takeaway. I mean, I learned a lot from my relationship that I had to work on. I'm not saying he was the person who was at fault uh, entirely. I chose to stay for 23 years. I chose a partner who didn't fulfill all my needs. I didn't know any better. I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I didn't know how to set boundaries. So these were the areas that I worked on and now I help other women do that for themselves. I love that. And now does present day Sandy think that if you had known now, known then what you know now, would you have made a go of it or would the outcome of the relationship have been different? I wouldn't have married him. That's interesting. You would have known yourself better is what you're saying. Yeah. 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 I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I have beautiful children and grandchildren and it's all good. Yeah, but I, I didn't know. I, I love that. I mean, um, there's less pressure these days for sure for women to, you know, go down the domestic path quite so early as previous generations. But there still is probably a, a big part of the journey that people don't take, I guess, in getting to know themselves before getting into relationships. It probably comes back to bite them. You know, there's no way to fully know who you are. But I do think if if we're encouraged, especially as, as young women, before we get into this, to find ways to make ourselves happy, or you mentioned setting boundaries, learning our personal limits, um, learning even simple things like what our love languages are. I mean, all these things make you a better partner when you finally choose to be one, because what I've learned just, and obviously I'm not an expert, is just if you don't, like you said, if you don't know yourself or if you can't very, very explicitly state what you need out of a relationship, you absolutely cannot expect that other person to understand. I don't care if they're, you know, the most intuitive and and empathetic and, and, you know, sensitive person in the world. No one really can give you what you need unless you explicitly tell them. So I just try to like drill that home. With my yeah, absolutely. Um, Kristen here is, is joining in the conversation. She said, even being alone is better than being unhappy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think here's the thing I look at um, on my side of the family, we come from a long line of successful, you know, long lasting marriages and relationships, certainly with, not without their problems. Women have a hard time, based on what I have seen, deciding. They're gray areas. Like you said, no relationship will ever be perfect, but how do I know that it's bad enough to walk away? And they don't really ever know what that point is because it's different to every person. What advice do you give to someone who's really struggling, maybe after um, a case of infidelity, 
to decide whether or not it's worth fighting for. Because like you said, you can see some couples really do well after it and you can see couples tank after it. How do you know what's best for you? Well, first of all, I wanna say that our needs matter. I think many women feel that needs are needy. And so there's a big difference between knowing that you have a need for trust, a need for healthy communication, a need for respect. Those are really undeniable needs that if they are not present, this relationship will not work. And you have an absolute human right to your needs. I think most people have no clue what their human rights are. And so know what your rights are, know and know how to ask for what you need when there is this gray area. So, you know, what's the gray area? So what I say is, what do you need to feel safe in a relationship? That's how I always start. When I work with a client, we we need to define must-haves and deal breakers. We start with, how do you want to feel? And for women, safety is number one. But it's not just overall safety. It's physical safety, it's sexual safety, it's emotional safety, it's financial safety. There are certain categories that we need to feel that we are safe. How do we feel safe in those areas? We need to know that this person is financially responsible for us to feel financially safe, that he is able to communicate so we can feel emotionally safe. You know, so all of these things, if he def- if he dismisses our needs sexually, it's not going to work unless we can work these things out. So I would say define what makes you feel safe and see if you can repair those things in the relationship and what it takes to heal and be willing to do your share. Because again, this relationship, you know, had infidelity for a reason for, you know, we both are responsible. So if, if you need to work on your ability to speak up and ask for what you want to own your needs to whatever it is, to nurture the relationship instead of nagging. You know, here's a typical example, Um, take out the garbage. Why do I have to always remind you? I told you this every single week since we're married, right? So- You have a similar recurring argument about how my husband takes off the pillows on the bed. I'm like, you just, here's how you stack them. I told him this yesterday. He's like, I cannot hear it anymore. I'm like, but why can't you stack the pillows? You know, I take out the garbage how you want me to take out the garbage when I do that. I mean, Sandy, help me be a better partner because right. I, okay. I have a nagging gene. I just cannot help myself. <laughs> so <laughs> things that are important to us that aren't important to our partner, they have to understand why it's important to us because we see the world through our eyes. This is something that we all need to work on. And so we talk to people according to how they hear, not according to how we need to speak. So we need to understand the way they communicate. You know, you're talking to somebody who needs you to be bottom lining, don't go into story. That's true for most men, then get to the bottom line because he's totally drifting and cannot follow you. And when it comes to the pillows, so Sunny, what is important about the pillow stacking? What, What need of yours is met when you have those pillows stacked? the speed with which I can make the bed the next morning. And I say, when they're all stacked here in this corner, I grab them quickly. I know it seems small to you, but for me, who's making four beds daily, this is huge. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's a real reason behind it besides that I'm like partially OCD. (laughs) 
Okay, so that might be a you issue, and <laughs> it might be something. No, seriously, there's a part of it that you would love his support. So without the nagging piece, like when you stack the pillows, I feel supported. You know, I feel so supported and it makes my day so much easier. I know it seems simple to you, but would you be willing to be mindful of that? That would mean so much to me. That's I'm, a lot nicer than that's <laughs> stack the day. Cool. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and plus the corner is right there. You take them, you set them down. I can't. Right. Um, but that's, so that's important to you. He doesn't see it. And, yeah, and so there, here's a, here's a great example. Makes so much more sense. It's very graceful. It's very, I mean, like you said, it's, it's explicit and it's giving a reason why, which right. I, it fills a need and he's going to want to make you happy. He wants to support you. That's one of his roles in your life is to support you, make you happy. Right. So if you give him the script, this makes me happy. It makes me feel supported. It makes my day so much better when we start off this way. Oh, wow. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to get some man points for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, wait. He, my friend Dana says, but what happens when you say that and they do it for a week and then go back to throwing <laughs> LOL. You remind them, hey, you uh, did so great for a week, and I'm seeing that you you haven't been doing it uh, anymore. And would you be willing to go back to it? Because, wow, it just makes my day. You know, things don't change. Okay, but going back and repeating is okay. Um, I really yeah, also one more thing is to check in with them about how they want to be reminded. Right. You know, like I have a daughter who forgets things. She doesn't put things down. And so, you know, you got a phone, ask right. Siri to set a notification right. and, you know, what would work for you? So again, you're not, you're not controlling him. You're giving right. him the power to take control of the situation. That's, that's where nagging stops. And the power to make you happy. I like that. I mean, because I do think at the end of the day, we all want to be needed by our partners. And even if it's just a small need, I like yes. that. Okay. So guys, here's the deal. First of all, if you send in a question, I love you and I thank you. This has been a difficult topic to solicit questions on because people started to feel like, oh, you know, you're going to say my screen name or whatever. Um, I just want to put this out there. This is and has and will always be a judgment-free zone. I'm not obviously sharing anybody's personal information today, but I do want to thank people who opened up because this is a, this is a difficult topic. So um, here's the first one from Anonymous. My question is, if you're in a new relationship and you're a reformed cheater, does your new partner have a right to know or is that something that does not need to be shared? I don't believe we need to share all of our past with our current partners. To me, who you are today is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, it can be shared once you're in a solid relationship to, to basically say, like if you were in recovery and you're not drinking anymore, that's a great thing to share. Like I've worked on myself. And so basically it's being in recovery. I used to cheat. Here's why. And I realized that that was really not working for me. And I love you so much and um, know that I'm not cheating on you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if you disclose that too early in a relationship, it can really um, ruin the trust. Right. Because he's going to start being suspicious. And, you know, so be willing to disclose how, why you changed, what you did to change, what kind of work you did. You know, a lot of people say, I'm, I'm different now but there's no evidence of it and we don't really know how we can trust them. So I always want to know like, what'd you do? How'd you, how'd you work on that? 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, this one is longer, but really interesting. She says, um, I've had a small crush on one of my longtime friends. Should I tell him, even though we are both happily married? The reason I ask is this. We both worked together at a company a long time ago in our 20s. We became good friends and are still friends. We both no longer work at that company on a day-to-day -day basis, currently both running our own businesses. Yet from time to time, we have to work with another, one another just because we have business in the same industry. I am very happily married and don't want to jeopardize my marriage or his, but still it is hard for me to be even in the same room with him or talk to him on the phone without looking like an idiot. Should I tell him and get over it so we can just laugh about it and move on, avoid him completely and hope it will dissolve or continue to do what I've been doing and just keep this a secret? I feel terrible for having these feelings, especially since I adore my husband and would never actually cheat on him. Is this a common thing? Does everyone walk around with these types of secret crushes that they know they would never actually act on? That is such a good question. It's a great question. Yes, I think tons of people have secret crushes. Mm -hmm. It is such a natural thing to be attracted to other people. I mean, we're human, we have attractions. And the thing that separates a cheater from a non-cheater is we don't act on it. And so we don't have to tell everybody that we're attracted to that we're attracted to them. I think the, the thing that really concerns me is that she says she acts like an idiot around him. That's something you can work on is just to, um, you know, try to, you know, see him as the human that he is. You know, I know someone who had a crush on somebody at work and he would, he knew it was never work out for them to be in a relationship and they're both single. So it's a little different, but he also doesn't want to be in a relationship with somebody at work. And so he looks at this person and he sees, he sees her flaws and it makes him, feel less flustered around her and around her and less 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 attracted and so i think you know really kind of zoom in on you know what's wrong with this guy he's not perfect you're putting him on a pedestal and yeah the attraction is there have fun with it like you know i would just say keep it to yourself i i don't think yeah. any good could come of it it would make the situation really awkward i love this thing uh, that just came in. Um, is it true that you can fall in and out of love during a marriage as long as the other person is not out of love at the same time? I've heard that saying before too, especially like in older couples. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that we can uh, dislike our partner at times. And, you know, I feel that way about everybody in our life, you know, our children, we can, we can like them more and less different times and we can still love them. So I think that relationships go through cycles and it's, this has been documented scientifically that, you know, we start with the honeymoon phase where there's all that lust and love and excitement and, and, you know, you, you, you have sex eight times a day or whatever. And then um, you start to see the flaws in the other person. And that's when a lot of relationships start to fall apart and it's like, Oh my God, it doesn't put the pillows in the right order. <laughs> <laughs> That's a euphemism for all like annoying <laughs> relationships. <laughs> he doesn't stack the pillows. <laughs> he doesn't stack the pillows. Why did I marry him? <laughs> and so we can just focus on all the things that aren't working. And often it's a sign that we need to do something to help ourselves to be happier in our lives. And again, you know, we talked before about rekindling. I think, we, you know, relationships are a living thing. They need nurturing. They need attending to, just like a garden. And if we are ignoring them, 
it will start to wither. And so if you're feeling I'm not so in love with this person, remember the parts that you were in love with and nurture those and take a trip together, mix it up, do something exciting. I mean, all the hormones that come back when you when you do something with a little bit of secrecy and mystery and, and um, unexpected, you know, some of the best dates are doing something that you've never tried before, you know, bungee jumping, doing something that scares the hell out of you. So yeah, there's so much out there to help relationships to be nurtured. And I, I just think we have to be attentive. So you, you do think that it is possible to kind of be like this, like one is at the apex, one is at the nadir and, and still make it through. Mm -hmm. If it's got the bones, if you have the foundation and if you're attentive. Yeah. How about this one? Okay. My dad cheated on my mom when I was 17, and my mom is the one who told me about it. I've never been able to let go of the feeling of anger about her telling me something I thought should have been kept a secret from me, even though I was an older child at the time. What are your thoughts on telling older children about their parents' indiscretions? Is there ever a right age? Hmm. I think, you know, I think a parent has to really get clear, why am I telling this? And what do, what do I hope to gain from sharing this information? Is it going to be helpful to my child? Is it just so I can get this off my chest because I'm keeping this secret? That's a bad reason to tell. And I think that, you know, if you, if you have had infidelity and you feel that it's good for your child to know that um, for some reason, maybe so that they don't do it. You know, maybe you want to help them to know that, you know, maybe I was really unhappy with your father and and um, I did this and I, I regret it. You know, I really should have just left the marriage at that point. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really see that that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I, I you know, as I'm saying it, I'm like, how is a kid going to hear that? You know, yeah. I, I don't I don't think it's it's good. And I think being the recipient of that you know, I would encourage this person, what's her name? Do we have a name? No, no name. Oh, anonymous. Um, so I would encourage you to tell your mother that this was really unhelpful and, and you know, to please think twice before sharing information that doesn't serve me. Um, right. Because now this is what's going on for me, you know, and so being able to say that could be healing for her. Yeah. Okay. Um, this one, I, I tried to get more information on. Again, there were um, some details we didn't get filled in. I think there was some sort of some hesitancy, but I have the bones for you. Uh, a mother of three, from what I understand, younger, youngest children, whose husband had a year-long affair. This was a situation where the husband was working in a hospital setting. The other, the woman was as well. It was explained to me as a longer-term affair. Um, apparently stuck in um, what should be the recovery phase. She now knows about the affair and technically they've been working through it, but is having, she's having a really hard time getting beyond the betrayal, taking into account the fact that there's a young family at play and that, you know, there are some sort of special things that happen when your kids are young, like, you know, that you want to be together for. What would you say to her? If, it really depends on what, what she means by working through it. You know, if both parties are really working at connecting and he is, you know, they're creating new agreements that has to be on the table. Like, how is this going to change? How am I going to be able to trust you? What do I need? You know, maybe in the beginning, she needs more disclosure than 
happened before. She's mm-hmm. going to want to see everything open, you yeah. know, open book, open everything, you know, no, no secrets until trust is, is built. The other side of this is if, if really she doesn't trust him and maybe there were fractures in the relationship to begin with that were never addressed and that can't be healed, don't just stay for the kids, even if they're young. I, I, kids don't really benefit from miserable parents. I, I have seen this so many times, you know, I stayed for the kids. I stayed for the kids. You know, my parents stayed for the kids and I, I asked my mother to leave my father at 16. I was like, you guys don't get along. You yell all the time. We don't like it. (laughs) And she, she didn't leave for another like 12 years, but you know, it was a different time. But I remember how unhappy I was being in that house. I don't know what would have happened if my parents got divorced when I was young. It probably would have not ended well um, because divorce was different in those days. But today you can get support and it's not, I wouldn't say go to divorce as the first you know, point of entry. This is not how we heal relationships. But if, if it's really, you know, really hard to mend this and the, and it's, you know, the relationship is really not solid, you know, and you think you're only staying for the kids, just, just know that kids do really well in separate homes when the parents can work things out as right. co-parents. As sort of a piggyback onto that question, if the partner, if the partner is not willing to go to therapy to address this in sort of like a third party neutral situation, does that sort of even lean more toward maybe it's time to leave because that sort of the, the offending party is not uh, taking the steps to, to make it better? Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got to be willing to do the work or it's not going to be rebuilt. You know, there are too many people who think that time will heal. Time doesn't heal. Time heals only with work. You've got to combine the two and both have to be willing to do it. There can't be just finger pointing saying, you know, you're at fault. Why did you do this to me? And again, like a person who's who's having a year long affair, that's that's heavy duty stuff. That's a a complete betrayal, in my opinion, of the marriage, of the vows that he took to be with her. He has taken another person into his life in an intimate way for a very long time. And there are things that are really, really broken here, you know, on both ends, probably. And so it takes a lot of work to, to heal that. And with the right work, you can get closer. But if one person isn't willing to do the work, it's it's not, it's pretty, pretty hard to mend. Aside from therapy, what do you suggest to people that you work with? I would, I would guess that therapy is probably one of the things you suggest, but um, just if people are in that spot where they've just been through infidelity and they are both actively deciding to make it better, what are some very specific things, programs that you suggest? I know you talked about the Gottman Institute. Um, any very specific thing that someone could start looking up or booking today? Esther Perel is is a, a real expert in this area. She talks a lot about infertility. She's got tons of videos to watch. She has a podcast called Where Do We Begin, where she helps couples um, and does live therapy with them. So I find it fascinating. I think it's really helpful. Some people hate her because she has not condoned, she has, she has condoned, not condoned infidelity, but has given a new perspective to it. Right. And so she's got books out there. Uh, I think that's a great resource. 
Also, relationship coaching is a very goal-oriented, accountability-oriented way to heal a relationship. And so if you can find a really good relationship coach, if therapy isn't your thing, and for a lot of men, and I don't want to generalize, but a lot of men feel the stigma of therapy and less so with coaching. So if, if it's a stigma thing, or, you know, there's teletherapy now where people don't even have to leave the house. So there's so much you can do if you both are willing. It really is the desire to heal. That is the most important thing. I have one final question um, that falls into a little bit of a different category, I guess, maybe on the precipice of infidelity. Um, He has a thing for feet. His wife does not particularly care for it. They've been married several years and the marriage has been okay. He's never cheated on her, but he feels bad for looking. I know she's not into that and that's too bad. Some women aren't. I know it's particularly feet tickling that he's into. So we're not judging fetishes here. We are just answering the question. If you are one of those, I guess on either side of that conundrum, either the person who feels like your partner isn't hearing out your preferences in the bedroom, or you're the person who knows that your partner has some sort of fetish that you're not into. Is it necessarily a recipe for disaster or can you find a way to sort of honor both of those parties? Mm. A little tough. So first of all, fetishes should hopefully come out at the beginning of a relationship Sexual compatibility is important. I mean, there are people who never want to have sex and they're both happy with that and it works. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's really important to discuss whether you're sexually compatible before you get into marriage or a long-term relationship. On the other hand, if they're happy every other way, but she just doesn't like her feet tickled, then I don't know, like, is there foot tickling porn out there? I have no idea, but, um, you know, that's if that's a deal breaker for him, then, you know, it may not work, but I would think that there's some way for him to hopefully get his needs met without having to look outside the relationship and go tickle other women's feet. I, I don't know. I have, it's a, it's a new one for me. Said, right, like communicating what your preferences and your boundaries are. And maybe, yeah. I'm no therapist, but just being able to say to someone, you know, this is a need not being met. I would like to find a way to like address this that at least they yeah. know because then it doesn't lead to infidelity because, you know, that's another thing we didn't talk about is emotional infidelity. Um, there are different and varying degrees of when we think of cheating. And I don't necessarily think that one is, less hurtful than another. I've heard women say, I'd rather my husband just sleep with someone and it be physical for one night rather than, you know, carry on in a relationship where emotions become involved and you hear women say the opposite. So what are your thoughts on emotional affairs and um, the betrayal that can, can result the feelings of betrayal that can result? So, you know, I brought up my case. I, I became very emotionally invested in someone. um, And it was, for me, it served as a wake up call to get out of my marriage and to not not continue with this person because he was toxic for me. Right. I think that when you find yourself like, you know, I, I would suggest that people take a good look at like, why are you confiding in somebody who's not your partner? Look at your relationship if you want to heal your relationship and, and don't keep justifying that it's okay to keep seeking emotional connection outside of your relationship. If your relationship is is really lacking that, then work on that. 
you know, it is a betrayal. You know, I did it. I did it because I was so completely lost and empty. And again, I wouldn't do that again because I'm healthier now. But when we're in that vulnerable state, we, we can be, you know, we can do things that we're not proud of, um, but that, that really satisfy a need in the moment that because we're so desperate for attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen relationships where one of the spouses had an emotional affair and one had a physical affair. And the one who had the physical affair was angry at her husband for having an emotional affair. And she was so incensed. And I'm like, you slept with this guy for a really long time. Like, how, how are you angry at him? Both of you are really messed up. Get this relationship back on track <laughs> or end it. I mean, you know, but that's what people do. It's like, it's okay for me, but it's not okay for you. Like, just get real with each other. I know it's hard, but work on these things. <laughs> And do you see, I think there are probably um, women out there who are, and men too, looking for some sort of comfort to take from your experience with your with your breadth of clients here to understand that maybe there is hope for them. Can you offer some people listening who might have experienced the pain of infidelity, some hopeful stories that you have seen people um, experience after big problems like this and exactly how they got to that good ending? Yeah, I mean, a lot can be repaired when both parties are willing to do it. And so, you know, you can think that this relationship is over and by having these tough conversations and setting new agreements, you slowly rebuild trust and the relationship actually heals in a much stronger way because you've recognized the areas where it was broken before. And now you're much more attentive. You're much more willing to go the extra mile to instead of looking outside to look within. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, you know, if if that's the takeaway and this has happened to many people where you can now say, okay, I didn't know how to say I was hurt. I didn't know how to say this, this, you know, this habit of yours that I thought I should never bring up because it would never change. So I just tolerated it until I couldn't take it anymore. And, you know, it's being willing to have a conversation, even if you think the other person's never going to be any different, not keeping things in. I, I, I just highly encourage all of us to be able to get comfortable with the discomfort of speaking your needs, owning the fact that your needs matter, his needs matter, your needs matter, all of our needs matter, and try to see the world through their eyes too. You know, we, we tend to, when we get really into our own sadness and upset, we just think that they're the problem and we are the ones who are suffering. And we're all human. We all we all need connection. That's the number one thing we need. And so if you're going to be able to bring the connection back, it, it can really make that relationship more strong than it had ever been before. I love ending on a, on a positive and productive note. And um, I thank you so much for your time, Sandy. This has been so enlightening. And I think your advice has really um, helped to steer people in the right direction. I know that this is one of those gray area issues where there's not one answer for everybody, but everything you told us can help us to sort of um, take stock of our own individual situation and make the right decisions. Um, I just want to say guys, anything she mentioned, the Esther Perel podcast, the Gottman Institute, I will link that in show notes. So if you go to, we I will put that in there under today's episode and Sandy, tell us where we can find you and where we can connect with you. If we wanted to work with you, I'm imagining you're taking on remote clients as well. I have always worked remotely actually since, well, 
since probably 10 years ago. I'm a Zoom, I'm a Zoom lover. <laughs> and so oh. my clients are all over the world. And um, I am at lastfirstdate.com. I offer a free breakthrough session if you are interested in coaching. And you can find me at uh, lastfirstdate.com forward slash breakthrough. There's a quick form to fill out and we can discuss your personal needs. I have a great podcast. It's called Last First Date Radio, where we have almost eight years worth of weekly podcasts. Uh, about all these topics and more. I mean, I cover everything from communication to healthy relationships and, you know, just good stuff. And there's tons of ways to reach me. So if any of this resonates, I would love to hear from you. Uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. You are just a wealth of information and I'm just so grateful for you sharing your story as well. We will talk to you soon, Sandy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of We Gotta Talk. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and follow along on Instagram at Sunny Abatta, S-O-N-N-I-A-B-A-T-T-A. All of the latest blog posts are at wegotatalk.com slash blog. 